Thanks for letting me be here with you uh, this morning, Crossview Church. I have a lot of love for this place. Uh, I did get to preach here many years ago. It was spring action in a school, so it's been a long time. Youth pastor then, I'm doing the district thing. Now it's a, it's a huge joy. So thanks for being here. Thanks for our online friends. The new Lisbon group, really, really cool. So when you're a guest speaker, you get to break the rules, do things that you don't do normally. And so I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I'm actually going to yield about 30 seconds of my time and have you turn to the person next to you and answer this question. What's a paradox? So what's a paradox? No pulling out your phones, no cheating, just throw some words out there. What do you think a paradox is? Go ahead, do a little talk. Okay, okay, let's, let's bring it back. Since I'm losing the room, starting to talk about other things. I get it. So I go to the shelf. What is a paradox? Pull out Webster's Dictionary, flip through it. No, I didn't do that. No one does that anymore. I Googled it. So this is what Google says. Paradox is something that appears contradictory, right? Maybe use that word, contradictory. But upon further review, there's truth inside of it. Why are we talking about that? Today's text is rooted in a paradox, but also paradoxes are in our world, all over the place. Think about the words we say. We use phrases like this. As I said before, I never repeat myself. Seems like a contradiction, but there's tons of truth in a statement like that. I'm going to have a positive attitude, but I know it won't work. Maybe we don't say it like that, but we certainly express it, right? Nobody goes there. It's too crowded. Paradoxical truths, the words we say. We see paradoxes in art, in pictures, illustrations. I've just won. M.C. Escher is most famously known for it. Like it's a the revolving staircase. Like, am I going up? Am I going down? Where's my destination? Am I getting there? All of a sudden, I pulled a muscle in my brain. Now it seems to hurt. Um, we see paradoxes in movies. Every science fiction movie that's rooted in the concept of like folding space, time space continuum, um, multiverse. Star Trek is all about this. Old movies like Inception, classics like The Matrix, all rooted in the idea of a paradox. And we try to think about it and figure it out. And we're like, oh, that just gave me a headache. Do you know that we have paradoxes in our theology? Like as Christians in our doctrine, right? Think about it. The two natures of Christ. So Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And wait, that's 200%. But no, it's still 100%. So he's fully, I don't get how that works. If someone says they can fully wrap their mind around and they totally understand what the Trinity is, you don't get the Trinity, right? It's three in one, but it's one. Wait, uh, it's a paradox. We make choices. We have free will, Right? And yet God is totally sovereign and in control. How does that work? Today, we're looking at a text. It's James chapter 1. And I think it, it, pragmatically, it is one of the great paradoxes of life that we have to wrestle with. Because it's about trials. And I have this love-hate relationship with this text alone. I would honestly confess and say it's some of my absolute favorite verses and I have to live in this place a lot of times, and then I feel like I hate him at times too. So that's like an actual paradox inside of me. Uh, so now, as a parent that I am of uh, special needs, 
today is a word that I need to hear today. I need James 1. As a husband of a wife who's a cancer survivor among a plethora of other autoimmune bizarre disorders, I need to be reminded of today's truth. And just as a human being, right, as a person who wrestles with things like all of us, temptation, sin, making poor choices, and then I'm a person who lives in a world that's outside of my control in so many ways, right? Pandemics, crazy election seasons, things not going the way that I want them to or would ever choose. It's worth it for me to sit down with James over a cup of coffee, have a discussion, a dialogue, dive into the text. James, where are you going with this thing? So maybe what I'm trying to say is, uh, I'm probably preaching to myself today, and I'm just inviting all of you to come along the journey with me. And I have to say that if you don't really like what's being said here, I'm going to apologize ahead of time, because we're going to kind of wade through some murky waters together. And so I'm going to ask a favor, please, no blunt force trauma, no rushing the stage, clobbering me with your Bible. Um, Before we jump in, let me just share this. Uh, some words from a good friend of mine. Um, and when I asked him about this specific text in light of his current circumstances and what's going on, this is what he said. He said, the great words of Scripture are a little harder when it hits so real and close. But we trust them all the same, and we're so thankful for them. That's about James. That's about James chapter 1 starting on verse 1. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible today. And I'll start with verse 1. It says, James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is an interesting introduction because James is Jesus' little brother. And so he's not playing some kind of card. He's, he's not saying, like, look at me. He's a servant and he knows who Jesus is now. So the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, which is everybody. It's a letter that passed around to the churches, so it's as relevant to them in that day, and it's just as relevant to us today. He says, greetings, which means buckle up. Verse 2, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. So there's the paradox. Joy in trials. How does that Work Well, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And if you don't like where this is going, here's verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he or she should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to them. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, the opportunity Uh, to come around and fellowship around your word. Lord, as you instruct us, we ask for some of that wisdom that you're offering. Help us to understand uh, the deep and profound truths that are written here. Help us to take ownership of what you're trying to say. Let this be formative in our lives as hard as it can be. And so we ask by your spirit, which is our counselor, We need that today. We need counseling. And so we ask you to speak through the truths of the word into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I came out of seminary, I began my ministry gig by um, serving in youth ministry. And I inherited a junior high ministry. We like to name them. Here you guys call it Apex. 
I believe. And so mine was called Reality Check. Just inherited the name. Love the name. Why do I love the name? Because it's so relevant. It's so real. It's so true. And it's so true to life because life is hard and life is challenging and life is unpredictable. And James is the master of what I would call a reality check. And so in these few verses, we have two profound truths and I think three application points or three ways that we can start to live these truths out. So truth number one is this, and we should know this about life. Trials are inevitable. Trials are inevitable. Verse two says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. So notice he's not saying if. It's not a, a when, or I mean, it's not if, it's not a maybe, it's not a possibly, it's, a pro, it's not a probably, it's when, it's when they're going to happen. So as sure as, and whenever this transition happens, that even the next pope will still be Catholic, and as sure as, with Halloween in mind, that sugar is job security to a dentist, and as sure as every person that hears my voice, whether here or there or anywhere in this moment, will one day be food for worms because we all expire at some point. Everyone in their life hits a wall at some point. We all do. And our natural response when life turns sour tends to be, why me? Why me? God, why is this happening right now? So uh, I have really amazing circumstances where my in-laws live about an hour north of Stevens Point. That's where I live in Stevens Point. They're in Anago. And for the last better part of 16 years, every Sunday after church, we travel up to my in-laws and we have dinner there as a family. My brother and sister-in-law and their kids come over and watch Packers and eat food and, and uh, play some cribbage. And it's, it's just an amazing time. Now, a long time ago, in one of those earlier trips, I remember because my boys were both in car seats. They're almost 16 and 17 now. So they were two and three or three and four. We were beginning our commute back to Stevens Point. I can remember it being summer. I can remember the windows were down. The fresh air was blowing. We're about 10 minutes south of Anago, just starting our journey back home. And as I'm driving along, I hear this sound, kind of a gurgling, kind of like that. And with this panicked look, as I turn to look at my wife, and as I'm about to say, this tidal wave of this horror of an aroma waves over the top of me. And I said, did one of them just throw up? And she said, yep, they sure did. And so I pull off Highway 45, pull on the first side road in the country, and I turn and look, and there's my younger one of my two sons, Judas, sitting right behind me in his car seat, locked in that bucket sort of seat, and he's got vomit rain down the front of him and his whole shirt, and he filled the basin of the car seat that he's sitting in. So I get out of the car, and I walk around, I open the door, and he's desperately reaching for me. Daddy, daddy, he's crying. He's like, he wants to get out of it, and he's reaching. And, and so I do the dad thing, because I'm a good dad, and I pull my sleeve, and I plunge my hand into the warm liquid, unbuckle it, pull it up over his head, and pick my son up. And I just kind of, here's this drippy and kind of gross kid, and he, he's reaching for me desperately, and I'm holding him at a distance, and he's reaching for me, and I'm holding him, but again, I'm a good dad, so I bring him in nice and close and try to comfort him in his sorrows. 
My wife has the joy of taking the car seat out and actually emptying it on the side of the road because we still have a 45-minute drive along the way. And as I'm holding and comforting my precious son, I hear the erping sound one more time, and I experience that warm sensation down my back. Do you know what I think in that moment? I'll tell you what I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking, I love this. This is awesome. These are those like, great parenting moments. Babe, this is so amazing. We should, like, we should fill our quiver with more arrows. Let's just keep having more and more children for moments just like this. No, in the moment. I'm like, why me? Like, why is this happening, God? Like, we still got this long ride, and this is disgusting, and I'm covered and coated. It's the why me moments. That's just kind of a funny story. What about when the rubber really meets the road? So I have two boys. My oldest son, uh, he's on the spectrum. And so God blessed us with a special needs child. And so uh, in those moments when years ago, when he was younger, two, three, four, and his mind stirred and he couldn't sleep at night, he might only sleep three or four hours a night. My wife and I would have to alternate nights of being up virtually all night with him. You know, like tonight's my night and then tomorrow night's your night and then my night. And so when I'm up with him at 2.33 in the morning for the rest of the day, what do you think I think? Why me? Why me? Why is this happening? Or when um, my wife is, um, she's just getting out of the hospital because she was dealing with autoimmune disorder that brought her to the brink of, of, of death, not making it. And I'm at the gym and I'm running on a, a treadmill now afterwards and trying to process where we're at and what life is about. And, and I start the ugly cry, right? Because I'm scared and I'm afraid. And what's, what's our possible future going to look like? And I have to hide behind a towel in those moments. What do you think? You think, why me? Why me, right? So James is challenging us. He's challenging us to think differently in these times, and he's challenging us to respond accordingly, which I am going to say is unnaturally. So Paul Cedar, former president of our denomination, actually said normal people do not enjoy trials. And that's so true. So what kind of trials do we have in life? Let's categorize them so we can work through these. So I, I, I list them as three different kinds of trials that we face. The first one's the cause and effect trial. So if X, then Y, right? So if I sin, then there's consequences. Those are trials. We have to think through those. Second category is spiritual trials. And spiritual trials are this. Because you are a Christian or because you're a Christ follower, then blank, right? So because I want to live by a certain ethic um, or in a certain way like Jesus, then there's persecution. That's the world that James is writing to. Uh, that's his context. There's the third category that I call the mysterious trials. And I might think of someone like Job from Job's perspective, like what he sees or tries to understand. It's the trials that just kind of are, right? It's the trials that don't make sense. They're not rational. They're not logical. We don't ask for them. You can't calculate them or predict them, see them. For me, it was a parent of special needs. For some of us, it's just parenting, Right? It can be a trial. These kids, they got minds of their own. They make their own decisions. How do you know? Victim of things like corporate downsizing, right? Economic downturns. That impacts this community, doesn't it? It is sickness. It is disease. It's the things that we don't know or can't predict always. How about uh, the novel coronavirus? 
No one asked for this thing, but here it is. But, but because God wants something for us that we would want for nothing. Those are his words. That we would be fully formed. That we would be wrapped around him. That we would be complete. Verse 4, that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Not only are trials inevitable, but the second truth is this. Trials are purposeful. Trials are purposeful. So God is up to something good, and given the right mindset, it is a good something. So James isn't the only person in Scripture to grab a hold of this idea. So Paul writes about it too. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says this, we also rejoice in our afflictions. So rejoicing, afflictions, there's the paradox, because we know that the affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. Uh, Jocelyn just read Peter's text about that, First uh, Peter chapter 1. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So it's rejoicing in various trials, the paradox, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire. And so Peter latches onto an illustration to try to help us understand this idea. And so it's the picture of the refiner's fire. It's the, the crucible of faith that believers go through. And so picture the blacksmith, the rugged man. It's the process of removing impurities by smelting. So you take the metal, you put it over high heat, and it melts and, and then exposes the molten metal to the airs separates the metals from various gases, dross, liquid slag. I don't even know what that stuff is. It just sounds really cool, but it's the junk that gets mixed in there. And so you separate the alloy from the precious metal. But here's the thing. You don't just do it once. The blacksmith does it over and over and over again, and it's hard work, and it isn't comfortable at all. It's incredibly hot and it's risky, but then what gets left behind? It's the treasure. In faith terminology, it's the staying power. And so James leans into a different word picture, verse 3. You know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. James is thinking sports. James is emphasizing what we don't want to hear, that adversity is necessary for development. So think of the professional athlete, right? They don't get to be where they're at by sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, and playing video games. But it's through hard work. It's through the crucible of hard work and trials, and they grow stronger. So take a cross-country runner. Cross-country runner, how do they learn to run three miles uh, strong? by running five miles hard. Or the bodybuilder, they get their amazing physique by hours and hours of hard work and sweat equity. And so it's strength and it's endurance and it's perseverance that comes through the hard work. And so if the muscle that is being developed is our faith in the workout facility is life, then the weights are the trials. The weights are the trials. James is trying to help us wrap our mind around the idea that the trials actually aren't the enemy. Okay, reality check moment. I get it. 
I kind of feel like I know what you're saying. You're like, I don't like it, <laughs> and I don't want it, and I don't want to be. I don't want this stuff. And I agree. I think you take a truth like this, and you share it in the wrong way at the wrong time. I think people are going to get hurt, aren't they? And I think my pastor friends um, who lead out in care counseling or grief counseling, that kind of thing, with a passage like this, probably miss James's point of what he's trying to say. Um, because we're not rejoicing in the trials. We're not. Uh, there rarely is joy in the actual suffering, particularly in the moment. Let me share with you another example, and let me just take it to the absolute extreme. So, uh, December 28th, uh, 2019, so 10 months ago, um, one of my dear friend, another one of my dear friends, we'll give him a name, we'll call him Doug, let's call him Pastor Doug, uh, was home watching college football right after, you know, during the holidays. And uh, it was that game, it was LSU was playing, and if you remember, the plane crashed and had that assistant coach's daughter on it. And so he's such a godly man, he was moved to pray in that moment for those people, people he doesn't really even know. And as he's praying, then he was thinking, caused him to think about his own three adult children that were traveling to uh, Minneapolis, to the Twin Cities, to a Christian conference that was up there. And they had traveled separately in different ways, and, and so he pulled out his um, app, and he saw that his oldest daughter, uh, who was since graduated from college, working out in California, came back to be a part of the holidays and go to that conference. So as after that, her car wasn't moving. And it hadn't, hadn't moved for a while. So he tried calling her. She didn't answer. Called a friend. They didn't answer. Called many people. They didn't answer. And so then he did what uh, would, would be the nightmare for any one of us as parents. Called the state police. And the state police put him on hold and then transferred him to another police officer who transferred him to a police officer on scene of a tragic car accident. And he asked the question, the one question, he said, can you just tell me, was it a gold Honda Accord? And there's the pause in the wait. And the officer said, I'm so very, very sorry. He had lost his daughter that day. Friends, we weren't rejoicing in the trials. There rarely is joy that's in the actual suffering. But here's James's argument, and it's that we rejoice in what God can do and is able to do in the formation of our lives, this through the means of trials, which I remind you, are inevitable. Anyways, it's the view that God is able to make lemonade out of lemons. And it just takes time. It takes time. So how do we not quit? How do we not quit? That's what I'm saying. You're like, oh, hit me with your Bible probably. You don't like hearing this stuff. No one likes this stuff. But it's so important. How do we not quit? How do we keep going? And James continues to coach us. We sit across the table from him. James, speak to me. He says, yeah, but there's verse 2, and there's verse 3, and there's verse 4. It's the verbs we need to consider, we need to know, we need to let. So first we consider. We have to consider with a certain mindset, and the mindset is joy. And so we have to push against the normal response of why me. And so that word consider is structured in a way that means leading the way towards something. It's the game of follow the leader. And so we mentally ascend and we say it out loud. God has a reason. 
God can use this. God is up to something, even if we're not feeling it. So we think it with our head, and we say it with our mouth, so that our heart can play follow the leader. I have a friend, her name's Slack. She owns Rockies in Stevens Point. Can't even make this stuff up, right? So she's battling cancer for the third time. She has two boys, both are on the autism spectrum. Three years ago, her husband picks up a bacterial infection in his spine, leaves him a paraplegic. And she owns a business. And it's COVID. And so now there's restrictions. And so we get pizza almost every Friday from Rockies because we like to support her and her business and try to be an encouragement. So I pull up to the drive-thru window to get the pizza. She was there, and I'm like, Slack, how you doing? Man, like, how are you hanging in there? And she goes, first thing in her mouth, God's still got this. I'm like, oh, let me get a pen and paper. I got to preach pretty soon. I got to write this down. Tell me what you're saying. She's like, God's still got this. These are her words. I'm reading my Bible more three times a day. Are you kidding me? She says, we got to trust him. There's still joy. What else do we got? What else do we got? So we consider. We consider it's follow the leader and our heart will come along. Secondly, James says no. We need to know. Know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So you know because you've experienced this kind of thing before. And so friends, we face trials and trials help us face future trials. So we don't want to get faith amnesia. And so our trials and tests prepare us for the next trial and next test. And so our faith in God is strengthened and it's enhanced when we face a trial because God proves himself faithful every single time because he does, because that's who he is. So when we encounter the next trial, we can say, God's got this. He did it before. And he will prove himself faithful again. Do you know who gets this? Do you know who understands this truth? It's people who have learned to live uh, life in the furnace, in the fire of life. It's our senior saints. It's those people around us in our body, our senior saints, they know because they've lived it and they've seen so much of life. If you want to be encouraged, get a coffee with a senior saint in your church and just ask them about God's faithfulness. It's so encouraging to hear from them. We can have faith because God is faithful every time. So it's a not quit mentality. Three, a third response, James, help us. He said just let. He said let. Let endurance have its full effect so that. It's a don't fight it mentality. Allow it to have its full effect. We have to just live in it at some point in some degree so great things can come of this. Don't be the obstacle. It's a passive reception. It's an acceptance and an embracing. Let me try to illustrate one more way. Um, Think about childbirth. Boom, I just lost half you, right? There goes all the Y chromosomes. Well, just follow along. We can get this. Okay, a woman rejoices to learn that she is carrying a child and she knows she will face nausea, Um, she's going to ache, there's going to be an actual painful delivery process, and yet she rejoices. Why? Because she looks past the adversity um, of the process and she sees the end game. And what's that? It's a precious child. 
It's a precious child. And so it should be as Christians and trials, they produce character in our lives. And when we struggle with this, because we're going to struggle with it, and I struggle with it constantly, we will waffle in and out of this. James says there's verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, they should ask God who gives to all generously and without grudge. It's this word picture of a waterfall. It said his wisdom and grace are just pouring over and he wants us to step into that flow. And he says, and it will be given him. And so we just pray and we talk to God. Say, God, help me to be wise about my circumstances. God, help me to see your greater purposes and what is going on. God, thank you that you want me to be wise in this. Like, help me to accept the inevitable, Lord. Help me to see your greater purposes. And I believe, friends, that he will give you the desires of your heart. It's James chapter 1. Verse 2 through 4, it's that paradox, right? It's not for the faint of heart. It's a complex paradox. It's the inevitable reality that collides with a purposeful truth. So we consider and we know and we let and we remember things that are helpful. Like, I think these helpful words spoken specifically about James chapter 1, and it was shared with me from a dear friend of mine. He said, the words of Scripture are a little harder when it hits so real and close, but we trust them all the same and are so thankful for them. Those are the words of my friend, Pastor Doug. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in your word and your truth, even if it's hard, even if it's challenging. Lord, we wade through trials constantly of various degrees, and it's so hard, but we are grateful that we have a God who is so faithful, proving yourself faithful in our lives, that you will take these and you will form us and mold us and change us and shape us. Give us the endurance to persevere. Give us a, 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 a not quit attitude and ability and mentality, even, Lord, when we're not feeling it. And so, Lord, we ask that we would consider, that we would know, that we would let you work through all circumstances in life. God, you're a good God. You define goodness for us. And so we're grateful for that. We love you. We worship you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.